Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Eddie Hearn and you're listening to The Hook. Welcome back to your favorite new boxing podcast brought to you by our cornermen and women over at Paddy Power, where we dissect and discuss the biggest fights on the planet. Today, legendary boxing writer Jeff Powell will be joining us as we break down the biggest fight of the year so far. And we'll hear exclusively from Matchroom's kingpin, the promoter himself, Mr. Eddie Hearn, who will discuss the future of the heavyweight division. I'm Charlotte Daly. I'm Alex McCarthy, and this is The Hook. Charlotte, Charlotte, Charlotte. Uh, here we are, a few days removed from Francis Ngannou, oh so nearly toppling Tyson Fury on his boxing debut. Uh, it was quite the spectacle in Saudi Arabia. You were there on the ground, of course, with Mr. Jeff Powell, who will be joining us ever so shortly. Talk us through what you saw on a chaotic night, because I was covering it from home, and it felt like it took forever to get to the main event. Yeah, it was an amazing event in total. I mean, as I said in the build-up and on our previous episodes, the setup that they had having the undercard outside and the main event inside was amazing. And on fight night itself, uh, it, it was great to see. Now, there were a few technical difficulties throughout the evening. Um, TNT's coverage did go down at one point. Um, there was also a bit of an issue when it came to timings of getting the crowd from one venue to the other. That definitely delayed things a little bit. And not that we're making excuses for Tyson Fury's performance or anything like that, but, you know, both fighters were in the changing rooms before the main event, warming up, cooling down, warming up, cooling down, because they had allocated a certain amount of time to get all of the fans from the outdoor venue to the indoor venue do the performance beforehand so they had an opening ceremony and once that was finished they then had to set up all the chairs around ringside bring all the celebrities in and I just don't think they factored in enough time to kind of see that all happen and all play out as it should have. Yeah I mean like you said that moving from one arena to the other for the main event seemed to be one of the primary problems but the the whole show was meant to be a spectacle right like we had this pre-show performance and it was more of an event than a fight which i think we were saying many times before jeff i'd love to bring you in at yeah. this point um you saw a concert essentially happen before the fight and you've covered a lot of the biggest fights 
of the last few decades. Mm-hmm. Was that event in Saudi Arabia like anything you've seen thus far? Well, in, st- in terms of production, it was the most extravagant without question and certainly the most costly. Um, two arenas and uh, some of the most famous artists in that part of the world performing. Yeah, actually, they, they, they messed up on the time, and not because too many people had to move. There were about 3,000 in the outdoor arena. So when we went in, there were already about 22,000 settled in. It was the question of the timing of the show because the ring had to come up through the floor after all these various people who I'm too old to know who the hell they were um, <laughs> had finished doing their singing and prancing. So um, that was okay. But with hindsight, the first uh, inkling I had that there was going to be a problem for, uh, for Tyson was that he looked quite agitated when he finally came in. He threw off the crown, threw off the robe, uh, still has a semblance of a king's garments on him, but he was looking edgy. He had his, his top off uh, long before Michael Buffer had done all the introductions. He was moving around and dancing instead of doing his usual happy look to the crowd. He was clearly agitated, and I thought he may just have realised that this is a more difficult fight than he originally planned for. Yeah, I mean, the whole proposition. He was probably thinking, finally, finally we're out here. As Charlotte mentioned, had to warm up time and time again. And and that's the thing. All the fights on the undercard ended early, right? You, you would have thought we were going to get to the main event far quicker than we did. But again, before we actually get to the fight, we've got these you know, performances, these singers, they're panning to the celebrities that are coming to each other in the crowd. Celebrities that are greeting each other, by the way, which is part and parcel of it as well. Um, I, I just, I guess that is where it started to wane and, and, and take too long to get to the main event. But lessons will be learned because one thing we do know, and I guess this goes to both of you who were there, but I'll start with you, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Boxing in Saudi Arabia isn't going away, is it? The, the notion that... Um... Boxing has now moved away from London and Las Vegas and New York is a bit overstated. Yes, there will be Usyk Fury. Yes, there will be Usyk Fury too if one of them decides to trigger the rematch, which is if it goes off well the first one and makes a lot of money, I suspect they will. And then it's quite feasible there'll be a rematch between Fury and Ngannou. So uh, the next sort of three or four big major heavyweight fights, and that is the marquee division, will almost certainly be in Saudi Arabia, but other things will be going on. We had um, Crawford Spence, for example, which was the previous biggest fight of, of, the, of the year. So things will happen and things will go on and Canelo will fight and uh, other, other great fights will take place. Boxing's not become Saudi Arabia's monopoly, but it's got the top end of the market at the moment. I think the big turning point for Saudi Arabia, if they do want to pursue boxing over there and become um, a destination for boxing is unfortunately the drinking culture. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but you have other Middle Eastern countries where they have designated areas where they're able to drink and, um, you know, westernized hotels that you can drink in. If something like that was to happen in Riyadh, that they had these areas, you know, or on fight night, you're, you're able to have a beer or something. I could really see Saudi Arabia taking over in terms of boxing when going forward. Um, at the moment, that's something that they're not willing to kind of budge on. And I understand why, because that's their own um, societal reasons. But I think if they do manage to come up with a way in which 
within the boxing bubble, within the sporting bubble, that they're, they're able to bring that element in. I mean, that event would just be sensational. And I could see British fans and I could see, you know, American fans, whoever it might be, heading over and spending the entire week in Saudi living up an event of that magnitude. Uh, the dear old Crown Prince uh, is making plans to try and uh, find a, a niche in the prohibition regulations there. He has a plan, apparently, to build a city just outside Riyadh, um, one of many cities that they're building. It's amazing how there are cities within cities yeah. over there. And in this will be like a sports and entertainment complex and hotels and goodness knows what else. Um, accessible uh, for the events and in which drink will be served, possibly only to foreigners, uh, but, but where drink will be available to enhance the possibility of it becoming a holiday and tourist attraction as well as a big fight situation. Now, his father has, and, and the other have held that off, but as everything else is going well, that he's, all the other um, revolutions he's caused, there is apparently positive signs that's going to happen, which will make the next few fights much easier if he gets on with it. I'll tell you what, let's move on to the scorecards. The the decision on the night, of course, Fury edged out Nganu by split decision. Um, Jeff, you had the same scorecard uh, result-wise as one of the judges on the night, I believe. You had yes. Fury by three rounds. Talk us through um, well, 96, what you saw. 93. It was a, it's a bit clear to say, by how, difficult to say how many rounds because there was the knockdown which affected the scoring. Um with, with you know, um, ninety six, ninety three was the score. Yes, in my opinion. And uh, do you think? Because obviously, a lot of people have made the case. I I thought it was a very tight fight, and there were some rounds in there you can make cases either way. There's only a few punches in it. Uh, what, what walk us through what you saw from ringside on the night? Well, um, scoring is is quite a, quite a difficult art, and I always score the fights as the Daily Mail readers hopefully know, and the people on the website. Oh, they know that I score <laughs> as the fight goes along. A lot of people score, and if they think they've got it wrong, they change it quickly and scribble <laughs> it before they give the final total. And I've seen that happen everywhere, including Madison Square Garden for very big fights. Um, the, but but the, the scoring is, is, is quite a sort of interesting art. But it's not only about the one big punch that knocks someone down, which catches the eye, and a few more decent shots that um, Nganu got in, which, which shook Tyson. But in between that, jabs count. Um, shots to the body count, of which Tyson did a lot more. And the over is the overall number of punches landed on the target area, not ones that hit the glove at the side of the head, uh, not ones that are slaps uh, because it's supposed to be a correctly delivered punch. So, it, you know, it's a matter of experience, really, of how much boxing you've watched. And it's clear from my age that I've watched a lot. And... Uh, uh, it, it's. I was in accordance with that, and so actually, although that the the howl of the internet is robbery and so on, which which I understand because um, it, the eye catching stuff in certainly in the third round and in a couple of other rounds came from Ogano, uh, but the the overall pattern of of most rounds was of Tyson landing more punches. I. I've... I felt, I mean, you could make the case, right? Like a lot of people were saying it could be even at like close to a draw or maybe Ngani would shave it by a round or there was a round in it. However you want to frame it that way. Um, Fury did land more punches, to Jeff's point. He had 71 compared to Ngani's 59. Ngani had more power punches. So it makes stands to reason that people would catch the eye of what Ngani was doing. Charlotte, uh, what did you make of what transpired 
on the night. I again, I've made my position clear. I felt that uh, I, I felt I thought Fury probably did just shave it, but when I saw it in real time. I did think Ngani was hard done by. It's, it's only when you kind of go back and take stock, I think, that I think, yeah, I think Fury did just shave it. Yeah, I am in agreement. I think that Fury did nick it. I have no arguments with the scorecards um, on the night. I think what Jeff said is really important that a lot of people, boxing fans in general, watch the, watch the fight as a whole. And it can be, it's easy to be manipulated by seeing the reaction of the crowd and hearing noises and kind of watching Nganu land some good punches or throw some good punches being a debutante and thinking he's done really well. And credit to him, he did really well. I think he was exceptional on the night for his debut. It's got to be the best debut ever. But if you break it down round by round within the scoring system, I agree that I think Tyson did just nick it and that comes from landing the cleaner punches you know he did some good work defensively although I do think that Tyson was far too one-dimensional on the night um I think that you know he he didn't show the good footwork that he normally has I think um he didn't throw as many of the left jabs as I would have likened to see I think that's how Fury kind of opens up his opponent and then that's when he can position himself and create that opportunity for the uppercut that he does so well and showed against Dillian White um I think that Nganu was only moving back and forth you know Tyson's feints went throwing him off course. Um, but I do think in terms of the scoring, yeah, if you if you look at it round by round, Fury definitely nicked it. And I think to say a robbery is a bit far-fetched. Um, it was very close, but a robbery indicates that somebody was, you know, dominating the fight 80% or more. I don't blame the ref who did give the scorecard to Ngannou. I do think two, three, four, eight were, you know, you could argue they were in Garni's rounds and, and then the final round in the seventh also were like debatable ones that I would maybe just give to Fury, but again, could understand why, you know, Well, I think if you even ways. looked at the people on ringside, I mean, I was sitting in the media section and all you had to do was look around and people's heads were in their hands, their mouths were wide open. They were shocked at what they were seeing. I mean, it was, I think for our, I think Fury made Ngarnu look good, um, but Fury also looked tentative I think you know the fact that Francis managed to kind of go toe-to-toe with Fury and Fury came out of the corner at the start at the start and landed a big shot on Francis and he didn't wobble I think that was the moment where Fury went okay wow this this is a tough guy you know I'm in for a fight here but yeah the reaction ringside was almost comical watching everyone was shocked because we thought that we were going to see a whitewash and we didn't what did you think Jeff? Uh, to, just to come to the point of how Tyson fought the fight, I think there was two, and Ngannou fought the fight, there were two pretty uh, serious uh, factors. First of all, when he took the big shot in the third, he was shaken by the realisation of Ngannou's power. He'd been told he was the biggest puncher in the UFC. He probably took that mm, fairly seriously with half a pinch of salt. But I think he was shocked as as opposed to being stunned and semi-conscious, which I don't think he was, he was shocked by the power. He gets up as he always does. There's no questioning ever his heart and his courage and his grip. The other fact that it happened with Nagano, he did say later, oh, I was a bit scared I'd gas out. And in my view, he gassed out from the middle of the fight. Um, 
he, he needed, if he wanted to win the fight, he needed to rally in the last couple of rounds and come on strong, which he didn't, and I believe he couldn't because you don't develop that kind of stamina in the UFC that you develop from years of boxing. So, and Fury was more tentative than he would usually be because he tasted the power, and and he perhaps he suspected Nagano might might gas out at some point. But as as Charlotte says. Everyone was surprised at how well he did. He put in a fantastic performance. He's a nice guy. I'm pleased for him. I'm pleased he he got a, a lot of chalks for the performance he put in. And he will now have earned himself a future in boxing and probably a rematch with Tyson Fury. Since this was his highest person of his career, which shows how much the UFC don't pay, um, he's going to become a lot richer in the foreseeable future. Well, that's the whole point. He abandoned ship in the first place, the UFC, to take this fight. You know, make no mistake about it. Jeff just said there, actually, which I thought was quite interesting, the fact that, um, you know, Fury Fury was a bit tentative. Um, I I don't know what you guys think, but do you reckon that's almost because he had that Usyk fight lined up for December and, you know, the thought of potentially losing to an MMA guy is obviously humiliating. Do you think that he was... Um, fighting in a way that meant that he could secure the win and keep that bout going forwards. I mean, because normally Fury would throw some punches and follow them up. But, you know, every time Fury threw a shot and Garnu fired back straight away, and I didn't feel like Fury was following up as he would have if you watch, you know, some of his fights against Deontay Wilder or other fights. He almost gave me the impression. It was like watching Fury against... Deontay Wilder in the first fight, you know, it was like watching a Fury that had been trained by Ben Davidson, not the Fury that we've seen of, as of late. I don't know what your take on it is in particular, Jeff. Well, yeah, I mean, all I would like to say as someone who watched Ngannou is uh, precious few people would be foolish enough to stand in the pocket with him, right? Or go or try to get inside with him. It's a very very dangerous place to be uh it wasn't like a long overarching overhand that put fury down was it it was kind of like a, a left hook and they're in close quarters that to the temple that put him down and i think fury much to jeff's earlier point realized very quickly that's not a spot you want to be in and you can't take too many more of them and he tried to <laughs> fight a different fight after that and there were some of the middle rounds where he did start to kind of get behind his jab and get that snapping um that that's the only thing I really have to add on that. Ngannou is not a man. And I, I mean, I said beforehand, he's no joke, but he even surprised me. And I think all of his biggest people that would have said, you know, in at UFC, he is super dangerous and nobody should take this man lightly. Even us, even our expectations were far exceeded. There's, there's one thing about the way, the way he didn't follow up, uh, Alex. Uh, Tyson's very clever in the ring. He's, he obsesses people very quickly. He works out what they're doing very quickly. In this case, he has some pretty a sharp piece of physical evidence to back that up. Yeah, yeah. Um, he, he found out that Nagano is a counterpuncher, a really good counterpuncher. Because he has got this great resilience, this punch resistance, he's able to take the punch and get off a very strong counterpunch quickly. So it's not a very good idea to follow up your shots. I actually thought um, most of the time... Fury was better on the inside, but then you'd expect that, um, given that when UFC people go inside, they're grappling. Exactly. When you're boxing, you're you're trying to throw punches as well as push people around. I think he was aware <coughs> this was a very serious counterpuncher, and he had to be wary. Yeah, you don't want those hooks and uppercuts mm. and, and such from such close distance. With Francis and Garnu, uh, should we get to some comments quickly on what people thought on the on the fight from our? 
YouTube channel, uh, Black Palace Music. <laughs> Sounds promotional, if you ask me. Uh, Nganu scored a knockdown and took an elbow. He won rounds three, four, five, and eight decisively. I think decisively is strong on a couple of those rounds. Uh, the elbow is an interesting point, though. Some slow-mo footage has come out on that since you saw it. Um, I'm, I'm assuming, did you, did you catch that in real time or is that just something you've seen retrospectively? Yeah, no, I, I saw it, but I didn't think, I mean, we all, as soon as it happened, we all said to each other, that's an elbow, but we didn't obviously see the detail of it. And it's funny, everyone since has kind of said that um, Tyson and Francis is a role reversal that, you know, Francis yeah. was throwing the punches as the MMA guy being a boxer and then Tyson is the boxing guy turning into MMA. So there was a few jokes floating around about it. Um I guess the big question is people are trying to say that it was intentional. I don't think it's intentional. I don't think Fury would ever throw an intentional elbow. And I think that's quite a ridiculous claim to make, to be honest. He's the WBC heavyweight champion of the world. He doesn't need to be throwing elbows. Um, but yeah, he certainly did catch him with an elbow. And uh, I mean, I'm not surprised that um, Francis didn't wobble. He's been getting elbows for the last however many years in his yeah. UFC <laughs> career. So it, Interesting though, right? Like for, for fans that don't know any better, it, I mean, Jeff, I'm sure you can elaborate on this. Like should a ref have stopped in and deducted a point from Tyson Fury there? And Charlotte makes the point that it wasn't intentional. And now I, I would assume that would be why not. Well, if, if that's what he thought, even if he saw it, it's quite hard to pick up an elbow uh, that's thrown deliberately, as opposed to one where the the guy's missed his punch. Yeah, and it comes through and catches him, and we've had examples of that lately. I mean, in, in his in his um, his first fight with Liam Smith, uh, an elbow was a huge factor in that fight. Chris was winning the fight until he got caught with an elbow. I doubt that was deliberate either. You've got to be sure that the guy was was punching was hitting someone with his elbow deliberately if you're going to deduct a point. Dave Singh says Fury did enough. The judges scored it correctly. Fury won by two or three rounds. He must be a Jeff Powell fan. Uh, <laughs> it was very close fight, though. I think that sums it up quite nicely. It was a very close fight. It I was. I don't mind him being a, a Jeff Powell fan. That's a, that's a very, very good thing to know. <laughs> yeah. um, but, but, I, but I would say that um, sometimes people uh, watch and listen to the commentators too much. If the commentators are getting it wrong, then the... the their opinion the is going to be wrong. Yeah, yeah. Massive thanks to the legendary Jeff Powell and his amazing coverage this past week alongside yourself, Charlotte Daly. Of course, guys, you can catch all of that stuff online in the paper. Don't forget about the paper. And uh, you can watch it on our YouTube channel, Mail Sport Boxing. That'll do it for part one here. Come back after the break when we will be joined. Uh, well, we would be discussing, I should say, Charlotte's interview with Eddie Hearn. Welcome back to The Hook. Um, there's a lot of opinions floating around about Tyson Fury's fight with Francis Ngannou, so I caught up with Eddie Hearn to get his take on the fight. Before the fight, I gave Tyson Fury absolutely, I'm sorry, Francis Ngannou, zero chance of winning. Like, it on paper, it's just the most terrible mismatch. A guy that has never had a professional boxing match. And I think there was definitely an element of Tyson looking through him. I think maybe he wasn't as well prepared as he should have been. But it was still an awful performance. I mean, if Fury had have done, would have dropped Ngannou and would have hurt him a couple of times, like, 
we would have all been saying that Fury won the fight, but he didn't really do anything. Like, I mean, there wasn't a huge amount of action in the fight, but Fury looked scared, like, on the back end of the fight. And every time they got in a clinch, obviously Ngannou was incredibly strong, like, he looked like he was getting flung around, and, you know, it, it was a tough fight to score in the respect of no one really did a lot in the back end, but I think Ngannou buzzed Fury again in the eighth, but because he dropped him and because he won those early rounds, for me, he won the, the won the fight by one or two rounds. So, like, when the final bell went, I just went, oh my God, he's lost. I think a lot of us felt that way, to be honest. Uh, looking at Twitter, certainly, uh, I tweeted, in fact, my initial thoughts that it was Ngannou that had, had scraped the victory. I felt that He'd done enough in those first rounds, the knockdown and the last round to call himself the victor. Uh, I should have known better, having watched him boxing for so long, um, that the upset was not on the cards. But he mu- how how much did he surprise you, Charlotte? For all of the plaudits and things that you, know, you would have heard or read or seen about him beforehand, he was fighting the world champion in his debut fight. Let's not skate past that that's very important he could not have had a more difficult opening contest and he exceeded all expectations he certainly did exceed all expectations now everyone had him down as having a puncher's chance because of that power he has but when we saw him in the open workout and we saw video of him in camp he looked slow he looked sluggish he looked flat-footed everything that we've been saying but he didn't look like that in the ring at all. You know, I was really impressed with him. He was obviously sitting on the back foot for a large portion of the fight, but I thought his footwork was excellent. Um, I thought he had great balance throughout. His head movement was good. He looked like a boxer, you know, and he really gave the impression that he could go toe-to-toe with a lot of fighters in the division. Now, I'm not suddenly saying that Francis Ngannou is going to soon become the new heavyweight champion, but he's proved his credentials to forge a career within boxing at whatever level that takes. Um, I think for Fury, unfortunately, he looked a little bit, physically and mentally drained going into the ring um I think the fact that his life kind of hasn't been his own for the last couple of months like I have no doubt that he took Francis seriously I don't think he underestimated him at any point but I think when you're obliged to fulfill all these commitments like Netflix documentaries and like these um shows where he's going and talking to his fans and audiences his book yeah. Exactly. Like that's that's mentally draining and at the at the end of the day boxing is his job and these are secondary that I think if you're gearing up towards a fight something's got to give and unfortunately it felt like the thing that gave this time was was the fight rather than you know those other obligations that he had. I felt that he thought he could roll in this fight as almost part of his training camp for Usyk. Right, that he would. I, I thought the turnaround from a late October date to December twenty third for an undisputed world title fight was fantasy. None of us believed that was going to happen, right? Like, especially when you look at Joshua and Tyson Fury, they've been fighting once a year for like the if that for the past three or four years. No way did I believe that was going to be happening within a few months. But I think if Fury felt that he won convincingly like he assumed that he would and to be fair to him many people did as well then he would just skate right on through and carry on 
with his training camp to Usyk. Now, I mean, what would that have been? 10 weeks-ish? Sounds about right, to be fair. So he was probably only in the early stages of what he would have been doing heading into Francis Ngannou. He, he certainly didn't look like he was razor sharp or deep into a camp. And um, Whether that is because he was in the early embers of a training camp or, as you said, it was the conditions on the night, that, that will have to be debated and we probably won't know unless Fury decides to share it with us. What's next for Ngannou? If he's going to be a top 10 rated WBC heavyweight, there are a lot of options. Like you look across that division, styles make fights. A lot of people would pay to see him and Deontay Wilder, two of the hardest punchers in the world today, punch each other. A lot of people would. I'd pay to watch um, that. <laughs> I, I would pay to watch it. They can't take my money right now. Same as uh, him and AJ. Him and him and Joe Joyce, even. Joe Joyce is meant to be the man with the granite chin. Let's say you get on with that. Um, yeah, I know that's been dispelled a little bit after his Zhang defeat. <laughs> but um, same thing. People would pay to see Ngannou take it to him. Uh, I think he has a place in the division, but it's important to note that he's 37, 38 years old, right? Like the window for his maximum output and what he can really achieve in the division it's not as big as we'd all like to think it is. Like, he's been around quite a long time. He's had many years in the UFC. He will want to get the biggest fights as quickly as he can. And hopefully, having the top 10 WBC ranking will help him get that. That will certainly help him. Of course it will. And, you know, Francis has already come out and said that he intends to return to the ring in February or March. You know, he wants to get back as soon as possible. I mean, think about it. The hype is around him at the moment. Everyone's talking about him. Everyone's talking about how impressive his performance was and the fact that it was quite possibly the best debut we've ever seen. So why would he not start those negotiations now and start trying to get that next fight whilst he's kind of in the spotlight as such? Well, I know from speaking to Dan Hardy yesterday, who of course was in Saudi Arabia covering the fight as well, UFC legend, British MMA legend, Francis Ngannou is anticipating making his PFL debut next year. Francis and the PFL, I think, it, I think it's important to, to mention that Francis was signed to the UFC. He works with the PFL, you know, so, so there's, there are far more options on the table for him than, than uh, you know, than, than I could think of because he's his own man. You know, he's going to make decisions for himself and he's going to have things that he wants to achieve. And I think now he's realised his potential in boxing. I think we'll see more of it. Well, that's an interesting take from Dan Hardy. You know, obviously the world is... Ngannou's oyster at the moment. He has lots of avenues to go down within PFL. You know, Eddie Hearn's also talking about making a rumble in the jungle too with AJ. They're now talking about Ngannou as this like, arguably the number one in the heavyweight division. It's the biggest load of rubbish I've ever heard. And respect to him, because he was definitely much better than anyone thought he would be. But he can get beat by anybody from English title level to the number one. But there's some big fights out there for him now. I mean, you know, I already said that six months ago, I sat down with Francis Ngannou and he, he asked me to try and make the Anthony Joshua fight. And I went to Anthony Joshua and he went, not interested in that, like it's a bit gimmicky. It was almost like, you know, I want to win the world heavyweight title again. So, but now having, you know, in most people's opinion, beaten Tyson Fury at the weekend, how can he not be credible for whether it's AJ, whether it's Wilder, whoever that is? So everyone, you know, I feel a bit for Alexander Usyk because the Fury-Usyk fight 
sort of is massively devalued to the point where everyone feels like Ngannou should get his rematch. But, you know, whether it's a fight for AJ, whether that's a fight for Wild, I've no idea. But Ngannou has put himself in the limelight as, I guess, a heavyweight contender in his pro debut, which is bizarre. I love that I finally bring an interview to this show and Charlotte goes, well, what about <laughs> my interview? Uh, <laughs> the one upsmanship is at its finest. Good work again from our Charlotte <laughs> Daily. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you something on Nganu, Shell. I'm very happy for him, Charlotte, that this is working out for him the way it is. Um, you know, even in defeat, his value has soared and he took a chance by leaving the UFC, right? He took a big chance and he left under acrimonious circumstances when he wouldn't re-sign and UFC president Dana White furious and you know, saying that he was scared of fighting John Jones. UFC heavyweight division moved on without him. John Jones is now injured with a torn pec, and he's out for about eight to nine months. And Garnu is off having the time of his life with offers from left, right, and center. It could not have gone <laughs> any worse for Dana White. I mean, me and Dan Hardy were talking about this on the chat yesterday. Hopefully, you guys will be able to read it online today, and it will hopefully be on YouTube as well. Remember, male sport boxing. And the same goes... For Eddie Hearn. Uh, Charlotte was there for all of the action in Saudi Arabia, and you best believe she's hopping on the plane again this week. Charlotte, tell us what fight you're heading to. It's just non-stop action, isn't it? Um, heading over to Monte Carlo, I'm going to be watching the uh, title fight between Joe Cordina and Edward Vasquez. Um, so yeah, really excited about that. You know, Monte Carlo is a hell of a venue. Um, going to be taking place in the casino. Eddie Hearn's already been telling me about the fact that Everyone has to be suited and booted to the nines. You know, even the cameramen have to wear dinner jackets and smart shoes and everything. So it's going to be a um, hell of an evening and the fight itself should be an interesting one. I thought what he did in Cardiff last time out, Cordina, with the, you know, the split decision against Rachmimov uh, probably butchered that pronunciation. But still, it was very impressive, uh, you know, when he picked up the IBF super heavyweight title um what you know this is one of those fights where because it's not the sexiest division i think unless you're a boxing fan you're not completely dialed into who he's facing but this guy is no joke charlotte no absolutely not i mean the fight itself i think cordino will be looking to prove himself a little bit more there's a few fans that thought his decision against rakimov was uh swayed by the fact that joe was fighting in his hometown of cardiff um, but this fight with Vaquez, um, Cordina has a power advantage. You know, he's boasting a 56% knockout rate compared to uh, Vaquez's 20%. You know, I think um, that that shows that he's going to be trying to get him out early. But I don't think Vasquez can be underestimated, though, because since his fight, to, uh, his loss against Ford in for 2022, he's managed to pull off four victories in a row and they've all come via points. So I think that puts Cordina under pressure to get that knockout early on to avoid another controversial points decision in the end. Yes, indeed. And what can we expect from you in Monte Carlo? We've had a, a, a snippet of Eddie, Eddie Hearn today, but I believe you'll be bringing us some longer form stuff next week. Absolutely. So I'll be sitting down with both fighters for exclusive interviews out in Monte Carlo, you know, hoping that we'll have some nice backdrops uh, of the yachts down at the port for all you YouTube fans. Um, and I'll also be sitting down with Eddie Hearn for an exclusive where we'll talk in depth about the fight on the weekend, 
AJ's situation, what's going on with Fury, Usyk, the heavyweight division. Um, lots to come from that. So make sure you stay tuned on Mel Sport Boxing's YouTube channel. They will all be going out there. Well, speaking of Joe Cordina and Eddie Hearn, of course, being in Monte Carlo, Charlotte caught up with Eddie on that fight today. Joe Cordina was not always known for his power, but coming off his last two performances, it seems like as he stepped up the level, his punch power has increased. And I think that's down to the sharpness of his punches and the fact that people are actually trying to win versus people that are coming to survive. Like when he knocked out a Gower, it was knockout of the year. And that was a sensational knockout. He had Rakimov hurt a number of times, dropped him as well. The thing is with Vasquez, he's a little bit of an unknown. And it was interesting in Mexico on Saturday, I said to Oshaki Foster, who just retained his world title, who's a WBC champion in Joe's division, right, you know, it's called Dean and X. And he went, he's got to get past Vasquez first. And I was like... It's a funny thing to say. I said, oh, do you know Vasquez? He said, yeah, I spar with him. He trains in our gym. He said, that is a really, really tough fight. And we actually had Ray Ford, who is probably our best US prospect, who's about to fight for the WBA world title at 126 pound, fight Edward Vasquez. And I have to say, Edward Vasquez was very unlucky not to get a decision in that fight. And that's the only defeat on his record. So I actually think this is a really tough fight. That was Eddie Hearn, and there is no doubt that Cordina is the favourite heading into the fight this weekend. You know, he's got the height advantage, the reach advantage, and he's ranked number three uh, by the ring at super featherweight. But Vasquez can't be overlooked. Let's start putting our money where our mouth is, Alex. I do, Charlotte. I do. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Thanks, guys. I think we've covered everything on this second installment of The Hook. We are sponsored by Paddy Power. Please remember to download the Mail Plus app for all your breaking sports news stories. Head to Mail Online. For full interviews with the stars of the fighting world, subscribe to us on YouTube. And for the clips, head over to our social channels. But most of all, don't forget to rate and review us on whatever podcast platform you listen to the show on and come back next and every Tuesday. Every Tuesday. I'm Alex McCarthy. I'm Charlotte Daly. And this is The Hook.